Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101. This is Matthew Aaron, and I love this space, cryptocurrency, digital asset, blockchain space, because it proves that you can do good and still make a business. It's not just about selling sugary drinks to people and food that makes you fat. It's about human struggles and helping people while still making money, and that's okay. And the company I have today, Humanique, is doing just that. They have realized that there's two to three billion people in the world that is unbanked. Now, what does that mean? Well, we'll tell you in a minute with the CIO of Humanique, Hazm. But first, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. That's Crypto101Podcast.com. There you can join our Facebook group. It has over 3,500 people in it of people that care and want to help you in the crypto space. Also, you can follow us on Twitter and our Instagram. You can go to contact us and send us an email. You can go to our support page and become a patron. Our patrons have been helping support us for the past three to four months. Thank you very much. Also on our website is a big old iTunes subscribe button. Please click that button and subscribe to us on iTunes. That helps us move up the pack so people can find this show and you can click on the big word tax on our website where you can go to cryptotaxprep.com and get 101 dollars off your tax preparations this year and they can work through all of those crazy crypto tax laws thank you very much for listening and enjoy this episode with humanique How would you like to be addressed? Because you have a long name there. Yeah, I do. I uh, so so my parents gave me two first names, but Hazem is fine. Where's Hazem. Where's the Dan- Danny come in? So that's just another first name that my parents gave me. A lot of people use them interchangeably. Personally, I prefer Hazem. Right on. You know, that's a cool name. Thank Where, you. Where's that name come from? It's an old Arabic name. So I uh, I grew up in in Canada, but I've lived all over the world, the Middle East, a few other places, but. Uh, I lived for several years in Toronto. You were born in Toronto? So I was born in Montreal, but I lived in Toronto for several years. That's where I, I studied. Uh, I was born in Cleveland. Cleveland. Oh, very cool. Rather close to each other. We are. But then uh, Hawaii and then about 14 years in Asia. So Hawaii is magnificent. It's a wonderful place. You've been? Yeah, yeah, I have. A- any chance you've been to the Big Island? I have not. If you get a chance, go there. Volcanoes, beaches, and snow all in one place. Yeah, I hear that about Australia as well. You can go surf and ski in the same day. You went to school in Toronto. Uh, What was your education background? What did you major in? I studied uh, business management, and uh, so I did a specialist. It's called a Bachelor of Business Administration, specialist in management, and political science. Oh, right on. Cool. Yeah. What got you interested in that? So you were born in Montreal. You have an Arabic background. I assume you speak French. I speak a little bit of French, yeah, self-taught in, in Kuwait, actually. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So you're born in Montreal, but you learned French in Kuwait. I did. I did, exactly. So I was in Montreal for the first couple of years, um, didn't learn French, funnily enough, and then moved to Kuwait, 
lived there for several years. I uh, took French at school and just taught myself it at home. And then, yeah, I uh, lived in uh, in a couple of different places, actually, but then ended up going back to Toronto, uh, back to Canada for university. Right on. So what led you into getting into the blockchain? Was there jobs or anything before this project that got you into the blockchain? There's a few different things. I My background's in banking, primarily. So Okay. Within banking, a couple of different things. So portfolio management, uh, innovation, business financial services, as well as uh, consulting with with a large consultancy. And just being part of a large organization, I think, is obviously very different from the cultural standpoint, but also the things that you can do and sometimes the things you can get away with. But uh, being a part of that, I think it made it very easy to spot out new trends because large organizations, as much as people criticize them, banking in particular, on how not nimble they are, may be true to an extent, but I think in order for any of them to, to succeed and I think to stay alive, they need to be able to pivot in a sense, to be able to uh, react well to, to changes in the market. And so it became very, very obvious that uh, blockchain technology or or more broadly distributed ledger technology provided a lot of value quite simply one for the fact that the public blockchain is is open source and it's global Mm -hmm. uh, but also just because of the process uh, management aspect that it brings so when a lot of people use it as a buzzword or or try to say okay we're we're doing this on blockchain you know a lot of the time it's just using blockchain for the sake of using blockchain because it's become a buzzword. Right. Um, but actually, it's more of a process improvement mechanism or, or technology. You use it because it short circuits either the time or the cost that it would traditionally have taken you to do it with another set of technology or with a different approach. Right. So I think process management is is oftentimes the biggest piece when it comes to deploying new technologies. It could be, you know, you're automating a process, you need additional transparency or security or et cetera, et cetera. And, and in the past, you would spend a lot of money. Now it's less money, less time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So large organizations see that. They know they need to stay ahead of the curve. So Several years ago, many large financial institutions and banks and even large companies already had blockchain teams that were at least testing it out in their R&D departments. So oh, wow. these technologies, you know, artificial intelligence is another one, however you want to define what AI is, that a lot of large companies were, were dabbling in these things a very long time ago. But so for me, having that experience and doing several different things as well as you know, uh, business financial services, but also venture creation and, and some of the consultancy. I also started several business incubators and accelerators for startups. So I was around that world, I think, very early on in, in my career, in my professional career, that I got to see or, or get access to these different worlds because I, I set up incubators and uh, and accelerators where it was all about nurturing and, and growing different types of startups, providing the, the mentorship, the funding, the space, the facility, but also creating new and novel business models, developing new technologies, commercializing research, that type of stuff. So I got access to these two worlds. And then uh, life takes you in, uh, to funny places. And, and right. the way it develops, I think, is, is interesting. But yeah, it got me into the quote-unquote blockchain space, which, mind you, I think similarly to AI, you know, five years from now, 
I don't think everything will be on the blockchain, but when we look at startups, I think the majority of startups will have some element of AI, which is essentially making things a lot more quickly, less cost, automation. Again, automation and AI is very different, but the underpinning principle of it costs less, things can be done at scale and things can be done more quickly are things that are transferred throughout all these different technologies. So I think in five, 10 years time, the majority of startups and companies will be using blockchain and AI for that matter to some degree. Mm -hmm. So it won't be, we're in blockchain, it'll be, well, blockchain is just something that people use when they need to use it. And it's it's a very common thing, uh, similar to artificial intelligence, which will become, I think, a requirement in the public sector, the private sector, uh, and across different sectors and uh, and industries. You brought up one thing that I really want to touch upon, that you said that large companies were testing the blockchain and just dabbling with it many years ago already. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Jamie Skella about a month ago, where we were talking about plumbing. And plumbing as a technology, we don't know how our toilets work because when technology becomes mainstream, it just works and we don't care. When the big companies were dabbling with blockchain, did they just dispose of it or are they using it and we just don't notice? And now the only thing we notice is this rush of investment and independent startups. Fair. I think that's that's an interesting question and I think it touches on the way we learn about things, but also the relationship between consumers and uh, and multinationals and how much visibility we we have into organizations. Hmm. So I think generally we we would know just because it's become such a mainstream hot topic that a lot of companies would be absolutely proud because it would probably boost their share price right. and get them a lot more users. So we're seeing companies that are publicly traded changing their names because they know that their uh, their stock price is going to skyrocket. Uh, there was something <laughs> in the news a few months ago, really, where a company that had nothing to do with blockchain, I think, changed its name to something uh, blockchain or crypto related, and then it got a surge <laughs> in its stock price. It's become so trendy, but I think the the underlying question is, are companies right now using it that we don't know about? I personally don't think so, at least not at a large scale. Like I don't think what we're consuming, again, it's so different in different sectors, but let's take financial services. Um, the majority of financial services are not using blockchain at scale in the majority of services that consumers are, are taking in or, right. or products that they're consuming. So I don't think so. Will the time come where they do launch it and, and we don't know? They may do pilots um, just to gather data and modify what they have. But what I've found based just on conversations and, and some of the people I've been speaking to, but also what we're seeing in the market is that the technology doesn't seem to be robust enough, nor does it cater completely to their needs to a degree where they would launch at that level. And several, right. even central banks globally have been testing out blockchain as well, which is very good to hear. But they've also found the same thing, that it's not robust enough or resilient enough for the volume that they're seeing or for the volume that they need. Right. And so they settle on different solutions. Do I think that's gonna change? Definitely. Like any technology, every week there's going to be new iterations um, to that particular type of technology. So I don't think that blockchain is one thing. Oftentimes when people say blockchain, they're referring to the public blockchain, but there are private blockchains, there's permissionless, right. there's, uh, um, there's different types, there's distributed ledger technology much more broadly in, in the Byzantine type. So yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic question. I don't think that 
they're using it at scale and consumers don't know or the public doesn't know because they would want you to know. Right. They would get more users, but they're, they may be doing or conducting pilots that we don't necessarily know about yet. And when they roll out, they'll want to make it as public as possible. But a lot of them are doing or running a lot of pilots or POCs for various different operations that they have, be it wealth management, investment banking, capital markets, or just the traditional banking services, let's say, or even in the legal field or the insurance field, they're all testing a million and one different things, uh, running pilots and POCs with startups, but also internally with things that they're uh, they're developing themselves, definitely. And a lot of those are not public, um, given that they're competition, et cetera, et cetera. You said a lot of things I want to touch (laughs) upon. (laughs) And... Please do. We can go for as long as you like. Excellent. Excellent. I want to start getting into your company, Humanic. But before we get into that, you said the word bank. And the past couple episodes, I have been trying to answer the question, (laughs) what is a bank? And I know it's a stupid question. I asked many people already. And I'm just trying to figure out what is a bank because Humanic has a phrase, banking the unbanked. So Mm -hmm. before we go into that phrase, what is a bank? So before before I jump into that, uh, in your opinion, what's the, not the best answer, but the answer that most resonated with you so far that you've gotten around what a bank is? Because I think it's an amazing question, actually. You know, I haven't gotten an answer that was uniform or standard. I agree. So I'll approach it just from the definition standpoint, and then I'll, I'll try to lead that into what Humanique is doing. So I'm bank, sorry, is it, is it Humanic or Humanique? Humanique. Humanique, I'm um, sorry about that. No, 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 no worries at all. And and yeah, it's human IQ, but we say it humanique. But um banks traditionally throughout throughout history, you know, if you if you go back and you follow it, you get all the way back to um, when pilgrims were basically going on a pilgrimage and, and they wanted to leave their assets, okay? Be it it could have been in actual money, but it could have also been assets that were valuable to them. So they wanted to leave it with a trusted party, but then over time, what ended up happening was, well, they needed to access that capital mm-hmm. at different points throughout the pilgrimage. So they wanted to leave it in a, in a safe place, which is that becomes a custodian. And oftentimes it was done for free. It was just a trusted individual in, in the community. But then they realized that throughout their pilgrimage, they w- may want to be able to take out um, some money. So they'd be given a certificate, et cetera, et cetera. And so then over time, then they, at different points throughout their pilgrimage, they would be able to take out some capital or some money or whatever. And so I think that is really the origin of, of the banking system, um, because that then developed in turn to what became private companies that would keep your assets, be it, you know, diamonds, cash, whatever it is that you found valuable, and they would keep that for you and it would be secure. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, point one. But then it continued to develop. And so today, if I'm to use these points throughout history, today it's, well, when you put your money with a bank, you're not you're not giving them money that they're storing. You're technically giving the bank a loan. Your your checkings account, that's you having given the bank a loan. Okay, so that's what's actually happening. And so there's oftentimes a a bit of confusion because people don't really know the relationship that they have. They know what a bank is Mm -hmm. in that, well, this is a financial institution that that is private, that has a permit. It's compliant with with regulation. They have various permits so that they can offer financial services. Mm -hmm. But my relationship with them is unclear. I think that I'm just they're storing things for me. 
And although that may have been what it was a very long time ago, it's not what it is now. You're giving them a loan. Then when you access your bank account, you see a bunch of numbers. But that that capital isn't actually there. At least it doesn't necessarily have to be there. Right. They can use that money to invest. They can loan it out to other people. They can do whatever they want with it. Right. Then came the development of interest, which is if you put money with them in order to incentivize you to do that, they'll give you some money over a period of time. Right. Vice versa. Then came loans, the development of loans, which is I need to do something in my life. Where can I go where somebody can give me some money mm-hmm. and I'll pay them a little bit extra? And so then they developed that service. But then banks have branched out and, you know, there's the investment banking, the stocks, the this, the that. But the primary goal is, of course, profit in order to um, because that's their duty to their to their shareholders, because many of them are public. Some need not necessarily be. And so the majority of the profit that they make is actually through interest on average or on aggregate throughout banks. So I, I think I've touched on a lot of things going throughout history, but Primarily, it's an institution that provides you with an array of different products or services that are related to the storage, the use of, or the making of money. Now, that is one piece. The other piece is the ability that it provides you with. The ability it provides you with, well, it's to make payments in a non-cash, not not necessarily in cash. Right. So you're able to make bank transfers, transfer it to somebody across the world. You can transfer, you can make a payment at a store. You can do this, you can do that. So these are capabilities that, that it comes to. The last element I think that, that I want to touch on is the digital transformation piece. So banking in general, we've gone through people stopping at different outposts throughout their pilgrimage where they had a certificate where they could say, hey, I'm, I left some money with you guys. Can I take some out? And they'll be like, OK, here you go to the banking transformation that, that we have found now. And I know I've made a huge jump, but the banking transformation where or the digital transformation, sorry, where everything is essentially becoming digital in the banking sphere. So a lot of mobile applications or um, abilities on your phone to conduct transfers or payments or whatever that you would normally do when you would go there in person or that you would do on your computer, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So for us, for for Humanique, banking, the, the unbanked, is not necessarily slightly uh, misleading because we aren't a bank. We aren't a bank in the traditional sense where, you know, there is interest, we have permits, we are a financial institution that gives loans. It's not that at all. In fact, I think it is the, the next iteration of that digital transformation where you have what will become a decentralized ecosystem, essentially, banking uh, services for customers. So it is more of a banking platform, so to say. You can easily create a wallet. You can easily have a digital identity. You can store securely capital or what you have of value in in crypto and so on. Uh, But you can also make those transfers and those payments. So over time, this banking platform then begins to integrate with traditional services, be it stores or or grocery stores, legal services or accounting. Mm -hmm. But it also provides the ability for third parties to develop dApps which connect to our decentralized network so that people are then able to access various services, not necessarily banking, but through their bank, let's say, in a sense that it's now become their operating unit 
which has their wallet and their identity and uh, whatever they're storing of value and so on that they can use to do everything that they could traditionally do with what people think a bank is. Right. So it's a real change in actually the conception or, or sorry, the perception, I mean, of what a bank is. Let me just stop here for a second and let's go through the operation of this. Okay, so when I was looking at Humanique, I went to the website, I saw your app, I watched the videos online about yep. how, how to do this, but it never told me of the initial step. If I'm on your website, it shows a map mm -hmm. of the world and how many people are unbanked yep. in the world. And in Africa, let's say there's 80% that don't have a bank. Uh, and yeah. in the United States, there's maybe under 6% or something like that. If you don't have a bank in the traditional sense, how does this app help you? And then how are you going to use it? If yeah. we can go through like a step program, like if I was a, a father of two in Niger, what would I do if I have this app in a smartphone? A couple of things. Firstly, it's uh, you picked Niger, which has uh, an incredibly high unbanked rate. And so just to take a step back for a second, the, the reason why, well, not the reason why, but one of the reasons why a lot of traditional financial institutions aren't banking the quote-unquote unbanked, which are approximately 2 billion, can go up to 3 billion people, is because oftentimes it's considered very, very costly mm -hmm. and it's difficult to reach those people. So it's it's expensive to, to get those, those services to them. Now, if an individual has a smartphone, all they'll have to do is, is let's say they have a $15 Android phone, they can go to the uh, Google Play Store and they can download it. This okay. is step by step. They download it. They then go through our biometrics, which is a key component to to what we've built. And the biometrics, it's four tier authentication and it includes facial recognition, but also emotional recognition. And I think the largest issue that we faced there was some of, uh, well, for example, if you put a photo and, and all of those things. But nevertheless, emotional recognition where people aren't able to prepare for the type of emotion that they need to depict in order to um, uh, unlock their uh, their humanique application. So they go through the biometrics, which creates a digital identity for them. And mm -hmm. mind you, a lot of these people are completely undocumented. So they don't have any legal documentation that says that they are who they say they are. Okay. They have nothing. So this provides them with a digital identity, which we hope will become almost like a digital passport because they've now gone through all of the KYC. They now have their identity. Does this provide you with a service of collecting data of, on these people that you can sell in the future? Naturally, by collecting any data, um, right. you, you could say that, well, this could be a service that we offer in selling it, but that's that's not at all our, our goal. If anything, it's to give them the empowerment of now having a digital identity that they can use when they need to use it because they haven't. They've been they've been barred from the global market or even the local market often and, and at times because they haven't been able to verify their identity. And oftentimes they can't create a traditional bank account because they have no proof of their identity. Okay. Um, so this is taking uh, advanced technology, repurposing it, simplifying it so that they're able to use it for this step and this piece, which was incredibly crucial because for us it's also important at the same time to maintain a stringent regulatory framework in the sense of KYC, know your customer, anti-money laundering, AML, and so on and so forth. So right. this does two things. It provides them with a digital identity, but it also 
says that the people operating and using it, they are who they say they are, right. which is incredibly crucial when you're looking at terrorism financing or criminal activity and so on and so forth. So right. we have a very high level there. So you do that. And then the next piece is, well, you have access to, and this is, I think, um, one of the big things that, that we've rolled out is a messenger, right? So yeah. you have a messenger with all the other people that are using Humanique, but there's also group chats, which is also important. And you can make uh, transfers to different people within the chat. Mm -hmm. Now, the last piece is the actual mobile wallet. So you're going to have a wallet. And uh, what we are testing around with right now is giving some people with the wallet the HMQ token. And I can delve into that a little bit if you want. But so now people have a... Uh, a mobile wallet where they're able to store and value again could be in uh, um, in one particular uh, type of thing or another but the the focus is that now they're able to transact with other users of the application but also with other services that they may need and over time as we plug into other um, you know merchants or stores or whatever it could be right. they can then transact with those third parties and with those applications or startups or stores or whatever it is so it's truly creating a bank account that they're able to store securely but they're also able to have access to products and services that they never did before but they're also able to have a new potential source of income which is in HMQ or in whatever else as we scale and we develop and we have new iterations, obviously this will expand. How do they get their currency or fiat into their system? If they're unbanked and they don't have a digital identity um, and they might be trading in, say, a typical barter system. In cash or, or bartering, yeah. How do you get that into your app? How would that work? Yeah. yeah, so a couple of different things here. One that that you touched on is just assets in general, which which isn't what we're we're touching on, but uh, where it's not something that we'd be able to bring in, at least not right now. For example, if they have something of value that they they want to list that value into the Humanic wallet. However, that's something that we've thought about and that we may uh, want to address down the line in the future where you, you're able to at least verify its ownership. And that's that's a separate uh, topic. The other thing is actually just how do we transfer? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply the cash that they have into the the wallet. So that is, that's the fiat question. And I think that is the largest question that we've been testing out, trying to find solutions for in different locations, because it's very different with each jurisdiction. What is the mechanism locally for turning fiat into crypto, let's say. And so for that, <clears throat> there's a couple of different solutions. Oftentimes they're related to exchanges and and so on and so forth. But we've, we've tried to, to stay away from that. So two things, one, in order to curb that away from people wanting to turn the cash that they have into or bring that into the, the humana, humanique wallet, we've said, okay, well, for each of the users, we're going to give them some HMQ so that they're able to begin using it mm -hmm. and they're able to begin accepting transactions in it. Right. So you see, that's what we've focused on instead of let's convert everything that they have into the humanique application because what we've also found is that there is a bar of entry. Well, I have cash. Do I want to convert all of this cash into something new that I've just started using? So for the father of two or the mother of two, let's say, they create the wallet in the application, they get some initial HMQ, which I actually wanna to touch on another point in a second. They're given some initial HMQ, but also the most important thing is, can they use that to buy things in their local supermarket? Can they use it to access different um, whatever products or services? Can they go and buy some oranges or some water? Or can they receive payments for the you know crops that they're growing or the teaching that they're giving in the local school or whatever it may be? Right. Can they accept it I, I in also, this? I also assume that it is it, it has to be stable as well. Definitely. And so this is actually another piece. What we've done is we've created a hybrid system, um, a hybrid blockchain solution where although we're taking advantage of the Ethereum kind of main net, what we've also done is we've created private blockchains per country. And so that means that each country that we're operating in has its own blockchain and or blockchain network. And all of this resides in the much larger decentralized network. And so then HMQ Ghana, let's say, is different than HMQ somewhere else. Mm. But we make that bridge so that people are able to convert it. And that provides us with the ability to make sure that it's a lot more stable than just this is what's on the exchange. You see right. what I mean? Globally. Yeah. And, and that was a huge, huge piece and huge development that, that we were able to, to drive. So we have a lot more things coming out, but basically it's about adoption. Similarly to, to any other application or anything else, it's about adoption. Can we at scale get people to begin using it by incentivizing them through the digital identity, having a wallet where they have some HMQ placed into it and getting the right local partners and people using it such that it's accepted, but also that there's utility and use for it locally. As right. long as that happens, this will grow 
incredibly quickly because people are seeing the the utility in the change of this digital transformation where now they have it all on their Android phone. It's incredibly secure. They're able to pay people just by, you know, through a chat on their phone in this uh, HMQ Niger or HMQ Ghana for example. One thing I, I wanted to ask Patientory that I didn't get a chance to ask, and I wish I did, is Patientory is doing healthcare records on the blockchain. One thing that a friend brought up to me when I was talking to him about this, he's like, you know, that, that's great, but if you're paying network fees and stuff like that in, in America, that doesn't add up to anything. But if you are paying those network fees over in, say, Nigeria, that's a big deal and a lot different than, you know, that $1 fee in America. So are you going to have net, network fees on, on Humanic? And, and are they going to scale depending on what region you're in? Because you, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So as long as everything is within our network that, you know, we're, we're essentially able to, to avoid that. So it's near negligible, right? But the moment people want to get out into the global exchange, that's when really the, the fees come into play. And so we don't necessarily see that being an issue from what we've seen, given that the primary utility use and function is actually going to be between people locally, right? And then right. potentially between the network networks between countries that we've established. So it's very it becomes very easy for us because it's within our network. However, the point that you're talking about is then well, what about when people want to go from HMQ Ghana to the HMQ on the exchanges and then want to trade with that? Well, then that is when the uh, the fees come into play and and uh, yeah, hey, that that is one of the big things right now with scalability on on the blockchain more broadly. I think that uh, that a lot of people are are trying to address, and that we're incredibly cognizant of as well. And, and that's part of why we've developed this hybrid system. One, so that we could get around some of the the lack of functionality with Ethereum, the Ethereum protocol itself, but also so that we're able to not charge the people that are using this anything pretty much so that they're able to take advantage of all of it within our ecosystem by sending it over to people and making transfers and accepting payments, et cetera, et cetera. So we're almost creating this new, not bubble, but we're creating this new environment for people to operate within in a new type of banking system, essentially. Why does this need to be on the blockchain? Yeah, a couple of different things. So it's not often misunderstood, but a lot of people use it as a buzzword, as just something that means it's it's more secure and, and so on and so forth and, and all of that, which is true, mind you. For us, it, it provides, yes, additional security. It allows us to verify identities. Ethereum ERC-20 smart contract allowed us to create the HMQ token. The blockchain itself allowed us to create a hybrid system. Now, the question would be, did you really need blockchain as opposed to any other solution? That's the question, The yes. question, the answer to that goes back to what I was saying earlier, it provided us with the opportunity to both scale, develop this really quickly, and do it at a cost that could get us to the people who need it where traditional technology and traditional financial services can't. And so although you could come up with so many other different types of technologies, we found that blockchain gave us the global scale we needed, but it gave us the functionality we needed the transparency, the security, all transactions are uh, placed on HMQ and Explorer, which you can go on to. So everything's validated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave additional transparency and security that we thought was needed in this. Could we have done it without it? 
perhaps it would have been a lot more costly, a lot more difficult, and uh, it would have taken a lot more time. So it goes back to the process improvement that I spoke about earlier. What we're seeing, I think, in the market and part of what we've done is we've taken novel uh, technologies and we've we repurposed and re retuned them and simplified them so that they're really able to solve chronic social issues uh, in different parts of the world. For us, it's it's about the unbanked primarily. So I think it was necessary at the time for all the reasons that I listed, but also for the last piece in that we want this over time to be a very decentralized network, private uh, country-specific blockchains all operating within a decentralized network so there isn't one necessary point of entry and and we have third parties building dApps within it we have various product uh, offerings and services where there is no central command essentially but it's all open and right. decentralized and people have access and it's not siloed into into one necessary function or mode of operation And now a word from our sponsors. No worker should be subject to prejudice over age, gender, birthplace, or university they went to. Workers should be judged on their personal attributes and skills. This is the mission of R Block. R Block was conceived in 2015 from frustrations from people in recruitment of the prejudice passed down by hiring. They want to become the world's first career ledger and anonymous hiring network, empowering the workers as the rightful owner and controller of their reference and skills data, creating an ecosystem without prejudice, one which you're solely judged on proven skills. Rblock.co's crowd sale is now live. 50% of the founder's stake in the company goes directly to charity. This is written and legally binding. So please, if you want to change the future of employment practices, check out rblock.co. Would you mind if I go into some general questions? Of course, please do. Right on. What do you think of the market these days? Because this time last year, Bitcoin was still under a thousand. There's just a couple of different things that 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 I want to touch on from a stats point of view when we look at the market. Well, right now I think the crypto market cap is around like 700, 800 billion dollars. Bitcoin specifically, it's like I think 4% of uh, of Bitcoin holders own like 95% of it. So when people talk oh, wow. about it, uh, people often think that it's it's dispersed and and evened out, but it it really isn't. And then when we look at actually how many people own Bitcoin, for example, well, I think uh, in blockchain.info, when you look at the number of wallets, they have like almost 20 million. Coinbase has around 14 million, I think, roughly these numbers, number of users. So it isn't as large as as people often make it out to seem. Mm -hmm. um, but like you said, we've we've been seeing incredibly accelerated rates of, of growth and development. A lot of people are saying this could be a Oftentimes, they, they don't necessarily know what 
being a bubble entails. However, typically for them, it's um, well, accelerated growth means it's a bubble if there's no inherent direct value. But what we're seeing in the market is everything has grown very, very quickly. I personally think we're going to see everything crash as well as skyrocket even more. So we're going to see both ends of the spectrum. Uh, we saw Bitcoin go from almost 20,000 or actually it did get to 20,000 to you know, 11,000 or over 10,000, as you said. So we are seeing this huge fluctuation and, and volatility. I think we're going to continue seeing incredible, incredible function of volatility. We have over the last year, people forget that there have been huge dips as well as huge increases across all of them. I think all cryptocurrencies that you listed and that are available on the market are incredibly different. I don't think it's it's the right approach to classify cryptocurrencies broadly, mm -hmm. um, especially when many of them don't fit being a currency whatsoever. Right. Um, so I think it starts with, you know, nomenclature and terminology and knowing exactly and being able to categorize what they are, what they're used for, what they can do, and whether the potential the use can be capped. So we're seeing the creation of new asset classes, essentially, mm -hmm. that can't be fit into typical what we generally think assets are you know you have your stocks your bonds you have currency you have the forex you we have something very very different and nobody has has been able to properly categorize them in the sense of this is what they do this is what they're used for this is what's happening in the market and one of the reasons why is because oftentimes you can have one morph into the other based on the utility and the usership and the technology development etc 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 so I think everything will continue increasing, but I think everything will also crash. And we're going to see both ends of the spectrum over the, the next year, two years, and so on and so forth. <laughs> but I think, it's a, I think it's a space that's here to stay. I think we're going to see so many new variations of every type of currency or token or whatever you want to refer to it as. So it's, it's an interesting space. It's becoming very mainstream in the sense that everybody and their cousin and their aunt and everyone else wants to get into it. But we also see it as as an opportunity that it's creating a new space and environment for investors, users, holders. It's it's redistributing wealth in a sense, at least it's creating new wealth, but it's also creating a lot of risk. And I think people need to be aware of that before getting in or where when they're in. It's always good to diversify and mitigate your risk across a lot of different assets instead of focusing heavily solely on quote unquote crypto or solely on, you know, ether or just on financial institutions from a stock market. So it ends up coming down to the intention of the individual. What are you looking to do? What do you want to do? And so on. Everything could go to zero tomorrow, but also everything could also multiply by 10 in a week, depending on so many different factors that right. I think everybody in the space should understand, which is the technology, what they're used for, regulation, use and utility, the actual underlying technology and, and all of these different things. Good answer. And, and I apologize for my general term of cryptocurrency because you do have a Not really good, you do have a really good point. I mean, the tokens that I or the coins or the cryptocurrency or however you want to classify them that I mentioned do have very different use cases. What would you think that it's an overall term that you can call them? Just say cryptocurrency? So I that's the thing. I, I, I don't want to create a, um, a term to assets, categorize crypto assets, we digital, digital assets, digital um, assets. Do you think it's the best one? 
so I, I think that's the closest I would get. I, I think uh, we'll we'll see a couple more come up, and, and you and I might come up with a few uh, ourselves. But digital assets, and even within digital assets, there's so many different types. There's traditional types. There's um, coin or ether or whatever else. So perhaps digital assets or digital currencies, maybe. Again, even with digital asset, it, it may not necessarily fit within being an asset. And I say this because what is the driver of growth for many of these? It's oftentimes the users that are doing something with it or the developers or it being a native currency for transactions within a particular environment. So there's all of these different things. You know, uh, XRP Ripple doesn't have any direct functionality, for example, and calling Bitcoin a currency when it's finite and, you know, it's incredibly difficult to transact with. You know, it's it's these types of nuances. And so I think right. a lot of I think a lot more discussion needs to be put into how we categorize it, because then you go into tokens and and ICOs and the different types of tokens, the ERC-20 or non-ERC-20, the hybrid tokens, the security tokens, and all of these different types, security tokens where they're asset-backed. And that's why digital asset as, as a term may not fit, because we do have asset-backed tokens, which are digital assets. And so I think a lot a lot more emphasis needs to be put on. And I would actually like to, to further this conversation with you another time. But how do we then categorize these so that it makes sense to people and they know what they're participating in, they know what they're holding, they know what it means, and they know what they can do with it or what others are doing with it, for example. You know, in the space, the digital asset space, let's just say, um, <laughs> who is one person that you look up to in the space or respect, yeah, so, let's say? Okay, so um, just back to the digital asset thing, I was thinking in the back of my mind, a digital asset typically means that there's some sort of inherent value component that can be measured and so and a lot of cryptocurrencies or currencies don't fit that and so in in our discussion next week we'll revisit <laughs> digital assets to figure out if it's if it's the right word to use but yes to to answer your question around uh, who's somebody I respect in the space or, or that I think very highly of. I, I think I'm going to give you an answer that I uh, that you may not necessarily have been looking for, but I think everybody, everybody who's who's using blockchain in some way, in some degree or capacity, trying to test applications or solutions, everybody who is entering the market by doing the proper due diligence, anybody who is trying to educate anyone else and this is both everybody at the same time is both a learner and a teacher so right. everybody that's trying to spread information and knowledge around this space with no hidden interests or agendas but truly it's just about disseminating information those are the people i respect and i see those people every day i i wouldn't be able to to list anyone else but also everybody that's part of the humanique team people like you podcasts like this that are inspiring people to go out to try and uh, to make the world a better place in one way or another. So I know I'm giving such a, a broad answer, but that's really the truth. And, and that's how I look at it. And that's how I see it. Right on. I think that's an amazing answer. I, I don't know if I'm ever looking for a specific answer or one answer. Crypto 101 is geared for people just getting into the space, you know, getting exposed to new projects, new ideas about what's happening on the blockchain how-tos, things like that. And everybody is a great answer because now instead of saying, oh, I'm going to just follow Vitalik and see his tweets or his Instagrams or whatever he's doing or putting out there, now that, that answer is going to broaden everybody up to look at the whole swath of people that are engaged in the space. 
not just the Matthew Aaron's or the Humanique or whatever. It's the other 101 beginner that just started last week. So I think that's exactly. an amazing, amazing answer. Thank you very much for that. No, thank you. Let's go and talk about the 101 person one more time. And Crypto 101 is positioned itself to be that stop, that first stop when you come into the space. You're, you might listen to the Coinbase episode to figure out how to set up your Coinbase account. You might listen <laughs> yeah. to the episode about maker and taker fees or what is HODL and things like <laughs> that. And they also might come up on interviews with amazing people in the space like yourself. So if they heard this interview and this was the first interview that they heard, what would you want them to know about this new space? Be careful. Read as much as you can. Don't listen to any one point of view or opinion. Gather as much information around it as you can and don't do anything you aren't willing to lose uh, completely. Because the moment you put yourself in that situation, you're bringing on a certain level of risk without necessarily having a deep level of expertise. And so that creates a lot of danger that can result in negatively impacting your own life. So I would say speak to as many people as you can, learn as much as you can from everywhere. I know there's so much information out there that it can be incredibly difficult. You don't know what's right and what's wrong, but follow your own instinct, follow your heart and your mind, become your own leader and your own expert in these things and, and make decisions for yourself that truly and inherently make logical sense. You wouldn't put everything that you own in one particular currency, just like you wouldn't put everything you own in one particular startup. And so be careful, uh, be cognizant of the changes in the market and the reasons that things happen and the different things that can result. Everything is about cause and effect. Once you begin spotting out those things, things will begin making sense, but also understand the technology the underlying technology, what it is, what it does, what it can be used for, where it's going, really grapple with it, play around with it, talk to people and become your own leader, your own advisor and make your own decisions for what makes the most logical sense for you, given your circumstances and in your position at, at, at that time. It may not make sense to put everything you have in Bitcoin like a lot of people did several years ago and, and it worked out. It's a very different environment and one should always be cognizant, not necessarily afraid, but cognizant, understand the risks, calculate the risks and make decisions based on, on a holistic view of what's happening, what's going on. But at the end of the day, for all the entrepreneurs, and, and I'm, I think everybody has, has an entrepreneurial flair and has all the potential in the world. so. Just go out and try uh, and and try to do good. And for those who are starting companies with blockchain just or with distributed ledger technology to solve a problem in the market, just go out and do it. For those who want to get into crypto or digital assets or whatever it is, study the, uh, the market. Study it very, very well. Uh, become your own expert and um, make decisions for yourself, but do everything as you know, you would for your family, let's say, do it or for your children or for whoever, for your best friend, go through the risks, do everything you can to mitigate them and take them into account in, in your decision making. So you aren't clouded by potential absolutely insane returns or uh, creating a startup that's going to change everything in the world, although that it might be a good driver. 
that's not enough to to base uh, some of the decisions that I've been seeing a lot of people making in in the space. So that's what I would say, and it's primarily about doing the due diligence, becoming knowledgeable, taking a little bit of risk, depending on your comfort level with uh, with that. But do good and try to help as many people as you can. That's right. it. First, before I ask this last question, I want to say thank you very much for one hour of your day to come on our, our show and wrap out with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. It was, uh, it was a pleasure meeting you, speaking to you. And uh, I love what you're doing, quite simply. I, I think it's it's fantastic. And thank you for having me here again. I really wish you the best of luck with your company. Thank so, you, my friend. What three songs would you like with your interview? So I was asked this. And actually, I don't have three songs, nor do I listen to uh, to music very much. But I did send over a song that I love. I saw yeah. that you said, said that, that you don't listen to music to, so much. And I always think that when people say that, because I've had this before. And no, they, I'm and, genuinely, I'm, I listen to piano. <laughs> that's it. Then that's cool, man. Well, you should just say that's, that's what we want to put on there. So Bach, some Beethoven, whatever you want to put on. I sent, this, I sent you the song, though. Okay. What is Here, the song? Oh, you want me to send it? Actually, okay, the, because because it is what three songs, sir. Yeah. Fair so enough. one is not okay. enough. What I usually like is I like the the person that I'm interviewing to say the songs because it makes that connection. Like okay, okay. A little Let more human. Kind of like hey, this is what I like to listen to, and I'm gonna tell you about it. So the three songs are all of them are by Ludovico Einaudi, who is a fantastic pianist, and the first one is Elegy for the Arctic. The second one is Nivoli Bianche. I'm probably pronouncing these words horribly, but also by Ludovico Inadi. And the third one is Primavera. Now and we if got you'd that like one f- right. Primavera. Yeah. That's how I like my yeah. pasta, I think. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> All three are, are fantastic songs in terms of what I like about them. They're incredibly soothing. They're very, very simple, but they're incredibly well done and uh, absolutely love them. I've been listening to them for, uh, for some time now. Right on. Well, thank you very much again, sir. And you have an amazing day. Thank you, Matthew. I uh, I hope we speak soon and best of luck with everything. Thank you again for having me. All right, brother. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Hasm will be back to discuss digital assets in if that's even the right word to call them. And we'll start talking about, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but he'll be back to talk about it. And ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place to check your real-time prices. Also check out our sister podcast, ICO 101 with Elise Lamb. And I just want to say that I know the best people. The best. All the people I know are the best. And that's you guys. Thank you very much for listening to Crypto 101. And thank you very much for the Crypto 101 team. We'll see you next time. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, Our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.